0: Well, um, look, today is my first official day as lead pastor of this place. Um, This process, for those of you guys who who may not know, this process began uh, back in March when Mark and I started talking about what it might mean for him to move into a a role that was more focused on red-eye coffee and, uh, and, and I would move into a role that would be focused more squarely on, on leader, leading the church. And uh, since that day, thoughts have been stirring in me and images have been stirring in me. And so it's brought us to this day, which we're just calling Vision Sunday. A day that, that I get to kind of lay out for you guys what God has impressed upon me and the staff as well over the next 10 to 12 months of this community. And uh, I want to start this morning with just a very basic definition of what vision is. Because we could throw a word like that around, but it means something very specific to me. And so I want to share that with you now. And that is simply this, that a vision is a picture of a preferred future that produces passion. There's a lot of alliteration in there, so you know it's spiritual. (laughs) So a vision is an image that exists out there, that exists in the future, And it's preferred, it's an ideal, and and for no other reason, it's ideal in that it should stir us. A vision should make you lean in a little bit. A vision should make your heart rate go up a little bit, which means a vision shouldn't necessarily be an easy thing to do. So in other words, I shouldn't sit up here today and tell you, well, 365 days from now, I hope we're in the exact same place that we are today because that's not a very compelling vision, and that's not the vision that I feel is preferred. So I wanna talk to you a little bit about, about that, and I wanna, I wanna kind of start with the idea that maybe some of you guys might be sitting here and going like, what's the big deal? Why do we need a vision? We know what we are. We are a church, we're a community. We proclaim the rule and the lordship of Jesus. We seek to interact with the Father, and we seek more of his Holy Spirit's act, uh, activity in our lives. It's that simple, we reach out to the world, Why do we need a vision? We know who we are, but a vision is critical. I wanna share a story with you to kind of illustrate this. Some of you guys know that I was a professional musician for a, a while, and the last tour that I did as a musician, I did with an independent band from Seattle. And this was their big push to sign a major record deal, back when record deals happened. Uh, before the music business collapsed. And they, they set out from the Northwest, well, actually from Idaho, and we toured the entire West portion of the United States, came down, uh, and then swept up the Midwest. We were on the road for three months, three months. Uh, I was gone. And so we went down through Arizona, Utah, California, did all of that. We finally got into Texas, right? Right? And I, was, uh, I grew up in Texas, spent 20, year th- 20 years there, so I almost made native status. <laughs> we got to Texas, and um, I don't know if you guys know this, but when you're an independent band, you know, we had no road crew. We didn't have anybody doing things for us. This was not the glamorous life. Everybody had at least two jobs in the band. You had your stage job, you know, bass player, drummer, whatever. But everybody had to pitch in Off the stage as well. So we had people that were really, you know, their job was to sell merchandise because that's kind of how we made our money. We had other people whose job it was to to drive because we had a a 35-foot RV with a trailer on it. You do not want Eric Case driving a 35-foot RV with a trailer. Uh, Actually, it's okay unless you ask me to back up. If you ask me to back up, all bets are off. So we had people who were, who were tasked with driving, and some of those folks were mechanics to keep things uh, in working order. My job, my second job, was navigator, uh, because I'm actually pretty good with a map, and I have a pretty good sense of direction, I actually paid attention in geography. So I could kind of, kind of sort of say, look, I see where we got to go. I can pick the route. You know, this was before GPS, by the way. So this was before the, the, the person that we like to call Google lady in our house. I was Google man. Um, so we were in Texas, it was a Sunday night, and we had a Monday noon show at a university. And these shows were a big deal because they came with a guaranteed paycheck. And most of the time when you play a club, you don't get a guaranteed paycheck. You get whatever the door brings in. But these college shows came with a paycheck. They came with a hotel room. They were like little bitty, uh, little breaths of fresh air in this three-month trek. And so we always looked forward to them, but it also meant an early load-in. Load-in is when a band has to show up. So when you're playing a noon show, you have to get there about 9 a.m. or 10 a.m., which is not rock and roll time at all. <laughs> so we're in Dallas on a Sunday night. We have a, a Monday uh, noon show. And so I asked uh, ask the people in charge, I said, hey, where's the next show? And they said, it's in Natchitoches. And I Im- Im- uh, immediately put on my arrogant Texas- Texan hat And I was like, oh, you silly Northwesterners, you don't know. It's not Nacogdoches, it's Nacogdoches, Texas, which is a town in Southeast Texas. So I got the Atlas out, took a quick glance. I said, okay, I found Nacogdoches. We have a map of it. There's Dallas, there's Nacogdoches. It's going to take about two hours, three hours to get there. We're leaving at 1 a.m. You know, we should be there in time to get a little shut eye. It's not going to be that big a deal. So we took off, but I said, hey, let's stop. Uh, let's stop before we get too far from Dallas and get some gas. So we did that. When we, looked at, when we stopped to get gas, I pulled out the contract for the, for the gig the next day because I needed a street address, at which point I discovered a few things. I discovered that the gig was not in Nacogdoches, Texas, but in a town in Louisiana. Next slide. Now, see, in my Texan arrogance... I had always known that town in Louisiana as Natchitoches because, stay with me here, people, is that not the way it reads? But in my Texan arrogance, I didn't realize that Louisiana people say things different. That is actually pronounced Natchitoches. So here's the deal. I had a vision to get us to Natchitoches. I could have gotten us to Nacogdoches very easily. But if we could have gotten to Nacogdoches perfectly, everything would have gone perfect with that drive, we would still have woken up in the wrong city. And that's why vision is important. Because you can get everything right in the day-to-day. You can get everything right in the process. But if you don't have a vision... There's no telling where you'll end up. You could execute things perfectly, but vision tells you that you're going in the place that you intended to go in the first place. Do you hear me? Does that make sense? Awesome. So that's why it matters. Now, uh, when Mark first talked to me again about this reality of, of, of shifting into this role, I immediately began to think of E3 in a metaphor, in a metaphoric term. And let me show you what I mean. That I instantly started thinking of E3 as a car, so we're all in the E3 mobile today. It just made sense to me, and the image just came to me, and I started writing down ideas about uh, how to talk about E3 in terms of of a vehicle. And we had like you know a couple good people in our community provided me with a I think it's a Honda Odyssey hood in case anybody's really interested. And uh, somebody got us a nice E3 logo for this. Um, Here's something that you might not know about me. When I was a teenager, I was a total car guy. I was a total gearhead. Um, When I was uh, about 15 or 16, you know, I got my first car. It was a a Chevrolet Monte Carlo 77, like about as long as this stage. (laughs) It's awesome. But But then a year or two after that, my father and I decided to restore a car together. And that was a big deal because I didn't always bond real well with my dad. Um, You know, I was a musician and we didn't always connect. But we said, hey, let's do this thing together. Let's restore a car together. And when my dad went to look for cars to buy, went to look for something for us, we we had some basics that we were looking to to sort of fill before we bought a car. That is the car had to have a, a straight body. We, weren't, we didn't have all the tools to work with the body, so we didn't want crumpled up fenders. We didn't want to hammer things out. We didn't want to do a whole lot of work with body filler or Bondo, if you guys are from that era. And we also didn't want a car that had a lot of rust on it because we didn't have a welding torch. We weren't welders. Straight body, and we wanted the car to run. You know, We didn't care if it ran well, but we just wanted it to start so that we could kind of know what we were talking about or what we were dealing with. So we looked around and we eventually found, uh, we have a couple different shots of this car. We eventually found, uh, this is the engine of a 1967 Mustang. This is what we bought. Straight body, uh, the, the engine actually did not start, but we had an added advantage of the fact that we knew the previous owner and that was my sister which is an awesome picture, and I hope she doesn't see that I used this today. And you notice, like, check out the, the wood-paneled station wagon. We were winning. We were winning in, like, I don't know, this is probably 1980. So that's her green, her green Mustang. It's an awful color, but we bought it. And we bought the car, and, uh, and instantly I had a vision for what I wanted this car to do and what I wanted it to be. And I think you could... I was, you know, whatever, I'm a guy. So for me, I was a teenage boy. I wanted it to go fast and I wanted it, I wanted it to look cool because let's face it, I wanted, I needed all the help I could get meeting women. So I was like, maybe I'll have this car and this is what I'll do it. So I wanted it to be blue. So we started working with, this is the vision. I'm just going to jump to the end of the story a little bit. We had a vision for the car to be blue and to kind of have a little bit more of a street stance. And this is the car when we were done with it. You know, got some rims on it. There's a glimpse from the back Um, open door. I'm shirtless in that picture, so I figured you guys weren't ready for that. Look at that, though. Look at that. That's prom, baby. So my vision for this car, my vision for this this car was to take it from green, not running, um, to blue, had to redo the interior. I wanted it to be fast. We put a bigger engine in it. Uh, It was pretty much a ground-up restoration, except we got lucky. Like I said, we didn't have to do any welding or anything. But when I embraced that vision, when I embraced the fact that I wanted this car to change from, this, from looking like this to looking like this, I had to become a car guy. I had to embrace the identity of like trying to get this thing to go from here to here. Now, to be a car guy, you need a few things. And I started and you need a, your skills and you need uh, materials and stuff like that. So The first thing that I would suggest that you need if you're going to be a car guy is you got to have, right, some tools, right? And uh, this is not that big a deal, but this is my torque wrench. And uh, part of this is just interesting because I don't think you guys could ever fathom a time that Eric Case asked for torque wrenches for Christmas, but he did one time. I asked for a digital torque wrench and my parents got me this. You got to have tools when you're going to become a car guy because... You need things that you need, sockets and screwdrivers and wrenches to tighten and to loosen and to adjust and to measure. You also need friends. Any car guys in here? All right, you need friends, right? First, you need friends because you need body power, muscle power, right? I was a skinny little guy. So like if I had to, when I had to drop the starter from my my car, I was afraid it was gonna crush me. So I always had someone underneath the car because the starter's heavy. Or if sometimes, I don't know if you guys ever done anything like this, when you got to kind of line up the transmission to an engine block. You need a lot of hands there. You need friends. And then later on, I discovered that you needed friends because friends sometimes knew things that you didn't know. So I had a friend that knew a lot more about wiring a radio than I did. Because let's face it, you had to have a radio, right? I was blasting my Van Halen driving down the road. So you had to have tools, you had to have friends, you had to have resources. And this is kind of a big deal because, see, when my dad and I got this car, I don't know if you guys have ever seen some of these shows on the Discovery Channel, but there's a lot of people out there that can just throw $20,000 at a shop and they'll go restore the car for you and bring it back to you. I was, that was not my reality. If this was going to change, we had to do it. We couldn't snap our fingers and make it happen. We couldn't throw money at it and make it happen. We could just, I could take my little paycheck that I got each week, and I'd be like, okay, well, this time I've saved up for some valve covers, and this time I've saved up, I can get the gasket that I need. But you needed resources. You also needed a certain amount of humility and learning because I didn't know how to do what I was trying to do. And most of the things that I did under the hood of that car, I had to do like two, two times or three times. <laughs> and I had to go out, and I would admit that I didn't know what I was doing, so I had to get manuals. How to shop manuals, or just go ask somebody. It did not come naturally, and the most, most, the thing I needed, the the thing I needed most, I needed time. I needed time after school, weekends, hood up, underneath the hood, car on, car on uh, ramps, underneath the car. It took time to make it happen. You guys tracking with me? Now that I'm in my 40s, I can look back and I can say with a certain amount of certainty that a 1967 Mustang is not that complex of a piece of machinery. You know, it's actually a pretty simple process, the way a car works. You know, at that time, fuel came into a carburetor. Spark ignited the fuel, turned the, uh, slammed the piston down, turned the crankshaft. Uh, crankshaft translated into the transmission. Power goes to the wheels, right? I know now that, like, drum brakes expand, disc brakes can compress. The process by which a car works is actually pretty simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy because a lot of things can go wrong in each of those little components, and you got to get them all working right And then you have to make sure they're all talking to each other. I want to suggest to you that uh, this business of being a church and this business of being the light for the world is actually really similar to to working on a car. Because the process by which we make disciples is actually pretty easy. It's pretty simple, actually, actually. Basically, what you have to have, what we found, is you have to have a church that's committed to reaching the world. Are you guys committed to reaching the world? You guys are good. Wait for you guys over here to wake up. That'd be fine. You have a church that's committed to reaching the world. You've got to bring them into a Sunday encounter where they can connect with God, they can connect with other people, and then you basically release them into a process of discipleship, which we have found happens most vitally and dynamically in a growth group, in a small group of people. And if you do that, and if you pray, and if you depend on God, you will produce disciples. It is a simple process, but it's never easy. It's never easy. I've been making, I've been part of churches that have been making disciples now for 18 years, and we've done it the same way, more or less, for 18 years. But, It takes a lot of work sometimes to do it. And so what I wanna talk to you about now is is some specifics because we have a process at E3. As best we can tell, people are still coming into into this place by a personal invitation on a Sunday. We have a process, but I wanna highlight some things that I would love to see us work on over the next 10 to 12 months. Because we have a car. We have a car. I've been charged with being responsible for this car. Pastor Mark has tossed me the keys to this car. And the body is straight and it runs. Amen? Amen. If he was here today, I'd have him stand up and we would all give him a round of applause because he handed me a pretty nice car. But that doesn't mean that we can't work on it a little bit. And that doesn't mean I don't want to see us take it from here to there. So here's what I want to see happen. We'll talk about Sundays first. Okay? Um, We want to redesign the lobby out there. We want that lobby to scream hospitality to people. We want people to walk in that lobby and to know instantly oh my gosh, there's a place. Okay, there's the Pathways booth. There's where I go to get connected. There's where I go to get coffee. Amen for coffee. We want it to be inviting. And we want it to be designed because we believe that design and beauty honors God. So we're going to take a hard look at what that lobby feels like. And then when people walk in, I want their first reaction to be, is to be, I know exactly where I have to go and maybe even a little bit of, wow, this looks great. And then in here, we're going to take some look at, we're going to take, continue to take looks at, at how we arrange this space not just for the way we worship, but for the way the next generation will worship. Because hello, this doesn't end with Eric and Mark. There's another generation coming behind us. And so we're gonna be listening to people and figuring out, well, how do, we, how do you respond to God best? And we're gonna continue to envision our amazing musicians to take music further and more powerful. And we're gonna preach the most compelling messages we can preach Because we want people to connect with God. We want them to go on this vision. Jesus calls us to make disciples and that's what we want to bleed. If you cut us, we want to bleed discipleship. That's what we want to do. The most important part of this process to me and the thing I'm most excited about um, actually happens when people leave this space on Sunday. Because you can have 1,000 people on a Sunday, but if they can't find life change in small groups, our experiences is that discipleship just kind of goes down the drain. So I want to tell you that the most exciting thing about what's going on right now is that we are launching six, maybe seven new growth groups in the next five days. Can you guys just go, whoa, <laughs> thank you. That's like what, almost double what we have running right now. Think about that. Think about that. That's where people experience the most amazing life change, and we're going to open up that space to more and more people. I've met the leaders, they're on board, they're engaged, we're moving forward. That's a huge part of the discipleship process. We're also going to be taking a look at how people serve together. And one of the most uh, important things, important areas that we're going to be taking a look at is something that we call Serve Tallahassee. Raise your hand if you've heard of Serve Tallahassee. Awesome. And Global Outreach. Raise your hand if you've heard of Global Outreach. Now raise your hand if you've gone on a trip. All right. More trips coming up. You should go. So listen, those two ministries are thriving. Global Outreach uh, goes to Guatemala, Haiti, Uganda, and they invest time and effort, and money into helping people break out of the cycle of poverty, helping people to to create an engine for economic development in their neighborhoods, in their communities. What we want to do is take what Global Outreach is learning on an international level and what Serve Tallahassee is, is learning and doing on a local level, we want to merge those two. So that whenever we reach out to people, whenever we go to hungry people, to impoverished people, to people who are hurting, we're doing it with a unified voice. So we're gonna hold some discussions about how do we start embracing the same approach locally and globally. I think it's gonna revolutionize the way we do outreach around here. And I think it's gonna make amazing things happen. Not just in Uganda, Guatemala, and Haiti, but just miles down the road. It's really cool. Um, The staff is taking a hard look at what we would just call our process. How we invite people into this this journey of discipleship. And here's my vision. My vision is that nobody who wants to become a follower of Jesus falls through the cracks in this place. And this is what I talked about. Like you can have all these components in a car, but they have to work together and talk together. So in just a couple days, the staff is going away for a day. And one of the things we're talking about is like, Where do we need to tighten up our process? Because if somebody walks through the doors there and they wanna become a follower of Jesus and we lose track of them, that's a burden that we have to carry. I wanna close that gap. Everybody who wants to follow Jesus should get a chance to follow Jesus. So we're going to just lean in to that. And then the last thing I wanna tell you is that if you are a volunteer around here, whether you serve on the the platform here, whether you serve in E3 Kids or serve coffee, We want to increase our investment in you because guess what? You guys are the engine that this thing runs on. So if you find yourself a volunteer, I want you to feel thanked. I want you to feel appreciated, but I want you to feel challenged. And so over the next 10 to 12 months, we're going to figure out ways that the volunteers around here know what their job is. They know they're appreciated, and they feel a part of something bigger than themselves because you matter. And I can't say thank you enough to what you've done already, but I can continue to invest in you and to find ways to challenge you even more. That's what the next 10 to 12 months is gonna look like around here. We're gonna tighten up Sundays. We're gonna lean into growth groups more deeply. We're gonna serve in really holistic ways. But here's the deal. Why do we do this? Why, 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 why? Well, the simple church answer is because Jesus tells us to. Can the preacher get an amen? Amen. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Matthew 28. We're going to read something that should be familiar to you if you hang around E3 enough. It's one of our core texts. Matthew 28, verse 16 says this. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Listen. If you don't have God and Jesus all figured out right now, you need to hear that that's okay. Because even the disciples, the disciples, the 11, got to the resurrected Jesus and they're still like, man, I don't know, Ah, that resurrection thing. I... Look, you're welcome here to figure this out. Then Jesus comes and tells his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make what? disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're gonna have a baptism gathering in about a month. It's gonna be awesome. If you've not taken that step of faith, talk to me, talk to Dan. Let us be a part of that event with you. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what we call in church world, the Great Commission. This is the last thing that Jesus wants his disciples to know. Look, go, make disciples. But as I was thinking about this Sunday, do you guys realize that there are other commissions in the Gospels? In the Gospels, this is not the only time Jesus sends his disciples out. And so as I was thinking about this this morning, I took took it to calling them the good commissions. If we have a great commission, the smaller commissions might as well be called the good commissions. And the good commissions happen in Matthew 10, in Mark 6, in Luke 9, and Luke 10. Jesus sends the 12 out and the 72. And he starts off in a similar way. He says, go. Get out of your seats and go. But every time in those passages, he says something similar. He says, he says, go, pronounce the kingdom, Jesus is Lord. But he also says, go, heal the sick, heal the hurting. And he says, I've given you authority over unclean or impure spirits, okay? Anybody ever heard that? So when I was younger, um, I always used to think of unclean spirits as like kind of the exorcist, you know? And, and I have, and, and the, there's definitely a supernatural element. That dynamic exists in the Bible and in life, right? But um, the more I studied the Bible, the older I got, I've come to believe that there's other kinds of unclean and impure spirits. And they look a lot more normal, but they are no less devastating to people. And Jesus sends out his disciples and he says, look, I've given you authority over these spirits, and you need to go and cast them out. And so as we do these things over the next 10 to 12 months, I want to suggest to you that we are going to be embodying not just the Great Commission, but the good commissions. Because we're going to go heal people. Woo-hoo. Yeah. We're going to go proclaim the kingdom of God. Another woo-hoo. woo-hoo. <laughs> we're going to heal this disease, and we're going to and uh, don't, don't get hung up on this language, cast out impure spirits. Well, what do I mean by that? I think there's lots of impure spirits. When we go overseas, I think an impure spirit is the impure spirit of poverty and child hunger and economic depression. And we're gonna go cast those spirits out. And we're gonna feed kids. And we're gonna put roofs over people's heads in Guatemala. And we're gonna be a part of having communities invest in their own economic engine so they can can rise above the level of economic poverty. I think that's a really cool impure spirit to cast out. Amen? When we're around here, okay, we're gonna cast out the impure spirits of loneliness, of depression. We're gonna cast out the 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 impure spirits of people who don't know what they've been wired up to do. I feel like they have no purpose in life. I think those are impure spirits. And I'm gonna give my life to interacting with people who are like, I don't feel connected and I don't know what I'm created for. I'll cast that spirit out, let's talk. That's another impure spirit. We're gonna cast out the impure spirits also for some of us of pride and greed and selfishness and self-centeredness. Oh, now who's gonna sign up for that? Because when you go on a a serve Tallahassee serve, or when you go on a global outreach trip, or when you have honest conversations with, you come to realize that you're not the center of the universe. And I'm, yeah, what? (laughs) And I believe that's an impure spirit. Can I I just tell you a story? That's an impure spirit. that has been cast out of me plenty of times because I have a tendency to believe that the world revolves around Eric. I'll sign up to get that thing cast out of me. My wife does it. But that, But she's not the only one. Carl Green does it, leader of global outreach. He's, he's the first person that took me on an outreach trip. I want those spirits cast out. This is what I want us to, uh, us to be about. And here's what, I, here's what I want to end with. First question is this. I just want to ask, will you guys do this with me? I wasn't expecting you to literally say yes, but... I appreciate it. We've been given this vehicle, and, and, uh, and just like my dad and I, like we can't throw money at this and make it happen because there's no money to throw at this right now. Okay? We are what we are. We have what we have. And we can't outsource this. All we have is time and each other. And I guess what I'm asking is, and, is, is if you would. And I even asked folks this morning, like, Even be willing to like, you know, tap tap me or Dan or Lori on the shoulder and just say, "Man, I'm in." Just let us know we can count on you. Send us a text message or an email. I'm in. I'm in with this. And let me tell you, if you say that, your hands are going to get dirty. We're going to need manpower, woman power. We're going to need knowledge and wisdom. Uh, just to be really, really clear, I have this vision for a lobby redesign. I'm not a designer, and we don't really have that much money. So anybody ever heard of the term sweat equity? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what's going to be happen- happening. We're going to do it together. And we're going and, and to take this vehicle and make it our own. Um, the next steps are simply this. Uh, next Sunday, we start our, our first series of the fall. We're calling it Five Smooth Stones. and We're looking at the story of David and Goliath and how, uh, how we have these giants in our lives and that the life that God offers us in the church can really slay these giants. So we're, we're really excited about it. And I'm gonna ask you uh, to sign on for that series but that series, even though it technically starts on Sunday, we're doing something on Friday that I really want you to put in your calendars, and that is we're starting the fall series off with prayer. So on Friday, uh, starting with the men's group at, at 6 o'clock in the morning, we're going to open up the doors, and we're going to ask you guys to come pray. Pray for the church, pray for the series, pray for the staff, pray for yourself. And just we're going to keep it open in free form for whatever that is, 12 or 13 or I'm sorry, seven hours and bathe this ministry in prayer, please. And then bring somebody if you can to, the, to September 18th and most of all, look, we're opening up these six, seven new growth groups and they need people. And if you've never been a part of a growth group, the next step I have for you is just try it out, man. Try it out. Say from September 18th to to the end of Five Smooth Stones, I'm gonna lean into this thing called a growth group. We have signups right out there at the table. Find a group of people to share your life with and then we're just gonna see where this thing goes. You know, when I started, I said I I wanted a car that that went fast and looked cool. And I kind of got over that now. My vision for this is not so I can look cool Or go fast. My vision is so that I can see God and Jesus Christ transform hurting people. Because the last time I checked, they're still out there. And as long as one person is hurting in this world, we are called to go to them and heal, and cast out, and embrace and show them the transforming power and the love of Jesus Christ, amen? Let's stand for closing prayer.